Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Spin Podcast. And on today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Alison Dillinger and Max Mulberry of Flummox. We're going to be talking about the band's name and its connection to Dr. Seuss. We're going to be talking about possums, Strandberg guitars, signing with Neil Juice, and how far left you have to be before you get your guns back. So sit back and strap in because the show is a go. First off, could I please ask you to introduce yourselves? Uh, hi, I'm Allison Dellinger. I'm the bassist and lead vocalist in Flummox. And I'm Max Moberry, and I play guitar and sing and do a number of things in Flummox as well. So how did each of you get your start in music? Well, for me, it was kind of random occurrence. Um, when I was like in sixth grade or something, um, a bunch of uh, my friends were doing the, uh, the talent show, and they needed a bass player for a Weird Al cover. It smelled like the Smell Like Teen Spirit parody, and uh, I ended up like we didn't have a bass player, so I ended up having a bass in the uh, school closet, and that's how I started playing the instrument. And then I didn't get really too serious into it for maybe like another year or so. Um, I didn't get really too serious into music until I discovered like bands like Black Sabbath and things like that, and I took I started taking it really seriously, and I've been playing um, gigs and writing my own music pretty much since I was a young teenager at this point. Um, I'm mostly self-taught. I took lessons for about a year or two at the most, and then I and then I ended up just kind of teaching myself from that point on. Max, about how about you? Um, of groups and um so music was always around in my life growing up and um i picked up instruments when it was you know when you're the age in high school or middle school i suppose through sixth grade i started playing trumpet um, ended up getting into a public school that hosted a magnet program where i could play music uh like go to have music theory programs and participate in the school band. So I uh, went to a Magnus High School, uh, learned a little bit about theory and stuff there, how to read sheet music. Um, but also around that time, I was picking up the guitar. So, um, fifth or sixth grade, I picked up the guitar. I've been playing about 15 years professionally now. And um, yeah, just um, as I got more into guitar, rock music became a thing and uh, just trying to find my voice is both a writer and also just a, an enthusiast of music. I'm always looking for new things. So, uh, yeah, I've been, been playing for a long time now. And uh, Flummox is the place where I've currently ended up doing this thing hmm. that I do. What inspired the name uh, Flummox for the band? So initially, when we were coming up with, like, like, me and Drew, the founding guitar player, we formed it right out of high school and we had been writing music for it. <clears throat> And uh, we didn't really have a name. So at one point, I was dating this girl who we all thought it would be a good idea to, like, go through her old Dr. Seuss books oh. uh, for for a band name. We were almost the Sneetches, actually, but that was taken. <laughs> uh, so I think it was in either if I ran the circus or if I ran the zoo, there's a creature called the flummox. And we were like, that sounds kind of cool. But then, of course, you know, flummox is a real word. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it means to confuse and everything. And, I, and it just kind of all lined up that way. Um, because musically, like, we were kind of all over the place um, <clears throat> and still are. So, I mean, it, it all just kind of flowed like that. So, we thank Dr. Seuss for that. 
And actually, that's the uh, that brings me to the next uh, point. You know, the band is definitely eclectic in its sound. I actually had to have a uh, another friend of mine um, who runs another music uh, podcast. He's been doing this for quite a bit longer than I have. Uh, shout out to Sam from uh, Witch Police Radio. So your sound is everything from experimental jazz to prog rock to metal. Um, who were well? You've already described some of your early influences of music. How would you describe the band's overall sound? Genre fluid. Uh, very, uh, uh, I mean, like you said, very eclectic. We, we, we never write any particular sound off. You know, like if we right. come up with something that doesn't really sound like anything we've done before, uh, all the better. And, and I mean that in the most wild ways possible. Um, some of the stuff we're even working on uh, right now has like electronic influence and, uh, you know, things of that nature, things that we haven't done before. And uh, it's definitely become like a sort of weird uh, genre fluid mesh of, of uh, strange sounds and predicaments. <laughs> Well, you've featured a lot of different instruments, you know, theremin, kazoos, flutes. Uh, what would you say is the strangest instrument you've actually brought in? Performance. Mm, yeah. That's, that's a good question. I mean, we've had a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, there's a lot of marimba, and uh, not that that's a strange one, I suppose, but um, <laughs> I had some flutes on the new record. What else? Can you think of anything? Uh, we've, I mean, we've used kazoo. We've used uh, tomatone. We've used... Uh, Pan flute. I'd say pan flute would probably be one of the weirder ones. We, I, if I'm, but I'm being real. A lot of these instruments that I'm naming aren't really aren't weird enough. I think we should go a little harder next time when yeah. it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, plus we sample a bunch of wild stuff anyways. So really, it's like you, you were zither. Saying. We've we've, yeah. we've used zither before. So Allison, I have to ask, what is your fascination with possums? Have you ever seen one? Oh yeah. Plenty they're wonderful, videos. aren't they? That's why. Are they murder machines or just the most adorable creature possible? Um, far from murder machines. I mean, they're uh, they're definitely like uh, I mean, like they're they're opportunists when it comes to their diet. They're omnivores. Um, they uh, you know, they got a lot of teeth, but you know, they're very harmless for the most part. In fact, they have more teeth than any uh mammal on the western hemisphere really so yeah so uh it's one of those yeah like there, there's a lot of fascinating things about the opossum mm -hmm. and uh i've just had a hyper fixation on them since i was a very small child and uh my dad uh calls me his possum so uh, yeah have you ever considered getting one as a pet many many times it's just illegal but okay. also yeah. like it they they're better in the wild. They're better off in the wild. Yeah. But um, it's also one of those things where like you have to have like an animal rehab license and that sort of thing. And it's usually an opossum that's been um, that that can't be assimilated back into the wild for some reason. I would love to do something like that. I just don't have the uh, uh, professional requirements to do so. So I'd like to talk about uh, the instruments that you guys play. Um, Allison, as a bassist, do you usually play with your fingers or with a pick? Um, I'm main. I'm mainly a finger player. Um, although when I need that kind of like pick sound, 
I mean, in the studio, I mean, depending on what it is, I might just use it. But and that's rare. But in a live setting, I just kind of use my thumb um, as like a speed picking sort of, so I can like kind of get that tremolo out of it um, for like the thrashier kind of things and the more black metal oriented parts of our music. And uh, yeah, definitely more of a finger player. Uh, who are some of the bassists that you admire? Uh, my first love is Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. Um, Les Claypool, Victor Wooten, um, Cliff Burton, Trevor Dunn, uh, uh, Dennis Dunaway, Glenn Hughes, um, Jaco Pistorius. I could go on. I could. I could really go on, but. Um, <laughs> There's, I have a lot. Carol Kay. Uh, so, Max, who are some of the guitarists who have inspired you? Um, guitarists that inspired me? Um, well, I'll start off by saying that nowadays, um, a lot of the guitarists that inspire me are usually uh, known for their composition tactics or um, <clears throat> maybe less about like them as a guitar player, per se. Although I will say uh, Richard Henshaw, he's the one, main writer and guitarist for the band Haken. Um, they're a modern progressive rock metal thing, and I would say that that's a big model, modern influence on what I like to do, because again, the writing plays a big part in him as a guitar player, but uh, starting out, definitely um, Jimmy Page was a big one for me. Zeppelin stuff was uh, some of the first stuff I learned. Um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, honestly, that's one I don't talk about as much as I should, that was a big influence on kind of how I shape my, my solos stuff. and maybe my more bluesy playing. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of those kind of early rock, you know, metal folks. Um, James Hetfield, Metallica, really helped me get my right hand going um, for the metal stuff. So yeah, um, a lot of the classics, you know, um, and Rush as well. That's another one. Alex Lifeson was some of the first stuff I was learning. So a lot of that, again, again, froggy kind of uh, folks who were doing something different. And again, nowadays, definitely guitarists who write are big influences on what I like to do.
I've been doing a lot of uh, reading recently about, uh, I guess, you know, early history of uh, metal. And it seems you guys have been uh, mentioning a lot of, you know, the late 70s uh, rock guitars. Obviously, you're mentioning Sabbath and other bands like that. Um, what have you really taken away from those albums in terms of, I guess, influence and how you compose uh, your songs? Um. Well, you know, that's just a lot of this is mainly just a lot of the stuff that I grew up with, um, you know, or at least like, you know, I kind of had to discover it for myself. I was raised in a very, uh, like, restrictive sort of Christian Southern Baptist sort of home. And, uh, like, it was hard to get records and things like that sometimes. Um, my dad ended up kind of relenting and helping me get some stuff. But, um, but like, <clears throat> you know, I... I learned basically how to play and write music from listening to, you know, some of those early guys. I mean, I listen to a lot of modern music as well and get a lot of new ideas from uh, plenty of uh, popular artists nowadays. But I mean, like my, my, my basic like set of tools that I initially got musically speaking come from records made by Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Frank Zappa, definitely Frank Zappa. Um, right. you know, Mr. Bungle and Primus and things like that. Ban bands that existed well before I was even born. So, uh, you know, because that was, you know, that was what existed. And then, of course, you know, like, as times and things, ha you know, go on, like, there's always something cool being made by somebody somewhere. And if it's something that I really dig, then, you know, it usually I usually try to implement it into my sound. So, Max, I've seen that you play with a headless guitar. Is this Steinberger? Um, um, no, I play uh, Strandberg, which a lot of people seem to conflate the two because the names are very similar, and it definitely was inspired by those old 80s headless Steinberger guitars, which are also really good instruments. I've always wanted to own one of those, but I'm very hooked yeah. on the headless thing right now. We're, we're kind of a headless guitar band at the moment. Circumcised <laughs> guitars. Circumcised. What can you tell me about the, the guitar? Have you found that there's any difference in terms of the way that it plays as compared to a normal guitar with a head? Um, uh, no, because the Strandbergs are, uh, I, I'm glad to talk about it because they're really one of the greatest things I think in guitar right now as far as kind of like, um, I, I didn't like the kind of look originally. It felt kind of empty, like, you know, you got the headstocks gone and they're kind of caught in a bizarre way, um, the body, I mean, but... Um, yeah. It's very innovative, I think. Just the, the positioning you can do is really good. Um, it really helps out your wrist, the way the instrument is set up. It has a very particular neck that is patented by Strandberg, um, where the yeah. back of the neck has a curvature to it so that as you are going down the fretboard, um, your thumb gradually goes to where it should so that you're not going to cause damage to your hand. And so you can access like uh, higher frets more easily. So. Um, and then having a headless thing is super convenient because you just pull those strings right right through and you just, you know, lock them down and chop them off. I can change those guitar strings in like five seconds flat. So um, um, really, really great instruments. I wish they would sponsor me and uh, <laughs> I will pour myself out to Strandberg until uh, the day I die. Hopefully it won't take till the day I die to get sponsored. But um, great, great little instruments. I can't say enough about those things. I think they're wonderful. Actually, uh, one of my favorite bassists, um, Michael Bishop of uh, Guar, has always uh, Guar, played uh, yes. Steinbergs. Yeah. Beat yeah, one of his earliest. Yep. And now uh, Blothar, the uh, Berserker. 
Right. Yeah, ever since uh, Dave passed away, I was I was a big Guar fan in high school, and um, I still have a fondness for them. So it's nice to see if there was someone who was going to replace Dave Rocky, it might as well be someone you know who had a history yeah. with the group like he did. What is a band's songwriting process like? Um, it varies. Yeah, these days, it's kind of different than it used to be. Yeah, it it really depends on like uh, how active a role the band members play in the band, and like because we've had so many different lineup changes and things like that. Um, I mean, like you know, basic flummox has always been me and Drew writing the majority of the stuff. And that either consists of me and Drew getting together and like writing, get you know, together in the same room, or he'll have a series of riffs that he'll show me, and I'll rearrange them, or I'll have a series of riffs and some lyrics and stuff like that, and I'll show them to the rest of the band. Uh, lately, um, Max and Jesse Peck and Chase McCutcheon have all kind of gotten in on the writing process, and so we we share our best ideas and like hash those out in the in the jam room a little bit. Um, you know, just being like, oh, what if we did this? And then, and then we all go, oh, yeah, let's do that, you know. And we always do very well when we're in the same space. Very much so. <laughs> I, I think Flummox works better um, organically uh, for the most part. But every now and again, like, there will definitely be, like, you know, one of us, you know, whether it be me or Drew or whoever, will just kind of have a song that we just kind of write out of nowhere and we'll demo it right. and then send it off and, and show it to the to the rest of the band and work on it from there. Um, how did you navigate the complexity of the instrumentation? Usually, like, when we were, when we're writing, you know, we get, like, the basic arrangement down on whatever instrument and, and, and like, the, the person writing it, you know, kind of is the most familiar with, or at least in the context of that song. I actually write a lot of our music on, like, an acoustic guitar, you know, not even bass. And, uh, and then I'll just show it to the rest of the band, and then we just kind of take it from there and see, well, maybe you could use this kind of dynamic or this kind of instrumentation. Usually we don't really have, like, the full scale of what the instrumentation is going to be until, like, we're finishing uh, the recording process or even the mixing process. You know, sometimes we'll be mixing tracks and be like, you know what this needs? Zither. And then we'll put it in, like, <laughs> And <laughs> a few songs until the last minute either. Yeah, there's there's definitely some tracks on the new one we're about to put out in April uh, that have like swing sections and banjo parts and things like that that didn't even end up in the initial recording sessions. It was something that Max would like join the band and was basically like, "Hey, what if we do this? Because I can do this." And we're like, <laughs> "That sounds amazing!" So we'll do. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, so, I mean, like, sometimes the songs are, don't, don't deviate too far from how they were originally arranged, and then other times certain songs go through, like, a complete metamorphosis by the time, you know, we're mastering the thing. The band has played several LGBTQ shows. How is the band connected to the community? Yes, yeah, se several of us, um, belong to the Alphabet Mafia, as it were. Um, I mean, the agenda, the, the agenda, as it were. Yes. But yes, I mean, yeah, we're we're very much. Um, it's near and dear to us, and um, and the people that we are for sure. Yeah, and it just, many members of the group. It just kind of like happened that way. I mean, like I had already been doing flummox years before I like transitioned, mm -hmm. and because I had been doing flummox when I did transition, it was 
fairly public, you know, so like yeah. uh, there wasn't like I'm going to go off for a while then come back or anything. It's basically like this is a thing now, everybody. Anyway, see you at the club next Saturday. We're going to be playing, you know, basically, hmm. you know, it, it's so because it's been so public and everything uh, on that front, um, it's definitely like um, made our shows and like the concept of our band uh, a very like, I guess you could say like a safe environment for uh, LGBTQ plus people to like hang out. You know, a lot of the times, like I mean, even on this last tour we just did, it was just like all the queer punks and metalheads and came out of the woodwork wherever we were playing. <laughs> and yeah. they, uh, they do come out. They, they fucking do. They come and they hang. Um, I'm pretty about it. Yeah, same. Uh, and, you know, obviously, like, it's come out in the music itself, you know, with songs like, you know, Bundle of Sticks and Transposing Guns and that sort of thing. And uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's part of who we are. So, of course, it's going to get written about.
so actually the first uh, song that I actually listened to uh, from Flummox was Trans Girls Need Guns. And it's absolutely blistering track. Love it. Mm-hmm. Being trans women in the U.S., how safe do you feel? You know, that's definitely that's a, that's a layered question because, you know, it's definitely different in certain parts of the U.S. Like, if we're talking, like, Northwest, for instance, somewhere in, like, Seattle yeah. And, you know, or, you know, Oregon and Northern California and that sort of thing. You're fine, probably. Not that it's not like, not like that the risk isn't there, but it's just a far, far less of a chance than, say, somewhere like the South. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like when we wrote Trans Girls and uh, Trans Girls Need Guns, you know, when we wrote that, kind of pissed off people on both sides. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, on one hand, Obviously, you have like conservatives are just like trans girls need guns, you know, what do they need guns for? But then you also have people on like the liberal side of things that are very like, nobody needs a gun. And it's like, you don't live here. And not only that, but like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I tend to be, I'm, I'm very far left. I'm about as far, you know, the, the, the way it goes is, you know, I'm far enough left to where you get your guns back. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I under, I'm, I'm very understanding of the fact that it's certainly different in other parts of the country. Um, I mean, I recently went to New York and I was far from the weirdest person on the street, you know, but yeah. like, uh, here in Tennessee, I'm a little bit, I, I guess I, I could also say like, I'm a little bit privileged in the sense that, um, I pass uh to most people most of the people that do the one time or whatever my line of work or whatever it might be out in on public or whatever that they don't question it you know yeah. but that's not the case for every trans person and i certainly have seen how my brothers sisters and other gender nonconformist uh siblings of mine have uh been treated if they don't really like pass and hell it's not like I always passed, you know, it's more of a, that's a recent thing for me. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I, I, I definitely know what it's like. I mean, I've been stalked, I've been harassed, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, it's not like, like, do, do I feel safe? Not always completely. No, but I definitely, uh, take, precautions and i also kind of know you know like what to do and what not to do in certain situations just kind of navigating you know southern society in such a way and it seems like we you know took several steps forward the late 90s early aughts and then for some reason just in the last five years it's like the entire society has been backsliding yeah i mean um we're we're very queer here in (laughs) comics How did the crowds react when you first started your transition? Um, it, you know, like a lot of people kind of saw it coming with me as I was already presenting very androgynous and very effeminate. Even before I like came out, I was like, hey, I'm going to be on estrogen and I'm, you know, changing my name and all that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I would say like the majority of people, it was just like whatever. But... There were definitely people who, I mean, I definitely lost fans and friends over it. And 
Uh, I mean, there were people who were like saying that it was some kind of um, gimmick. Like me transitioning was a gimmick for the band somehow, which is right. in absurd. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm just going to like fuck up my family relations and make my life a little bit more difficult in certain aspects just because I want my band to get noticed. <laughs> yeah, especially because, you know, it's definitely a double-edged sword when it comes to like being perceived as like an LGBTQ plus band, you know, when there's a lot more. I mean, yes, our queerness is a part of our music and a part of our art, but there's a lot more going on than just that. And, uh, you know, it's 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 definitely, like, one of those things where, you know, the crowds, it, it's, it's definitely invited a lot more um, inclusive audiences and things like that with Flummox shows. Like I said earlier, like, the fucking queers come out and Flummox plays somewhere. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it's something I've noticed, um, and I, that's why we've been offered to play some of these like pride events and things like that. Is because for that band, that's just unapologetically who we are, and uh, you know, it's just I'm 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 all, I'm all about it. You know, yeah. well, yeah. I've I've had the privilege as well of having um, uh, my first shows when since coming out myself have been with this band um and it's certainly been a really weird experience in the sense that i was very concerned as a person who adores performance um to be going back and performing after the pandemic and after coming out that came out beginning right. of last last year um to be performing again i was wondering if there would be some apprehension or what have what have you um but um i'm very fortunate in that i've had a very positive reaction uh to doing things as i've been with flummox but uh, most folks seem to know me from other things I've done. So I was, you know, coming into Flummox was a brand new thing for both me and everyone who was seeing me do it for the first time. So everyone was very inviting and understanding. And it's almost been uh, bizarre in the sense that I, that's not like you were saying, it's not an experience everyone has, is to just be able to go yeah. out and feel like it's, you know, like you can be who you are doing the thing. So um, I'm very grateful to be able to do that within the group. And, um, Again, having this, you know, conglomeration of people who are very open about themselves in Flummox doing the thing together, I think sends a strong message out. And I'm very proud of that, for sure. How did you become involved with the band? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, how did I become involved with the band? Well, um, I'm in another band called Others by No One, and in that group I sing. And it's, uh, I would say, similarly uh, theatrical, um, diverse, progressive music um, with an emphasis on rock and metal. And um, uh, I became aware of Flummox when Trans Girls Need Guns came out because, you know, it just kind of went mini viral as far as, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know. It seems like most people are getting to know the band through that. And so I did as well. And um, uh, I wanted to become their friend, as I do. I was like, I want to be, I want to know this group of musicians because I like what they're doing and I like what they represent. So, um, I did a bass performance uh, on YouTube of Trans Girls Need Guns, and that got the band's attention. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Um, <laughs> I just, I just wanted to to, to know them because I'm one of my biggest goals is just to collaborate with other musicians. I like doing things with people, um, especially people who get, you know, me, and. Um, so I got involved, um, or rather acquainted with Flummox through that, and then uh, I started coming down to Nashville because uh, I was just going to come to meet the Flummox folks and get to know them because they're not too far from where I live in Ohio, 
Um, but I ended up okay. getting involved in some shows. We, I did a tribute show last summer with some of the people in Flemix um, doing the music of Ronnie James Dio. And then about a month after that, um, there was a lot that happened. Uh, Flemix has returned to the stage. Um, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Our guitarist broke his hand. And um, they asked me if I'd come down and play guitar for the gig. And then um, I basically invented a position for myself within this group from there um, because I bring a lot of really, um, like I said, I do guitar, but a lot of other things like compositional things and samples and things. And um, I saw very much what Flummox was trying to do. And I felt like I could contribute to that. So um, I think it's gone very well so far. I've been in the group for about six months now. And my, I just, uh, last week we finished our first tour together um oh. so uh it's it's been a wild ride but it still feels very i'm still the new, the baby of the group if you will yeah. um very much <laughs> so but um you know it, it's been a good thing i'm really happy to be involved with this group of people uh who are some of the bands that flummox has actually performed with um i mean we played with a lot of we played with a lot of bands um i, I mean like you know as far as like more popular bands, I guess. You know, we've played with uh, I Hate God. We've played with um, Chuck Mosley at Faith No More, like maybe a month or two before he passed away. Uh, we've played with The Obsessed. Uh, we're about to do a festival with Coven. Coven's um, gonna be good. Yeah, yeah that's gonna be great. Um, but as far as like, I don't know. I mean, we've played with a lot of bands we just like. I mean, <laughs> there was also Earwig Deluxe. I was about to mention Earwig, Earwig Deluxe. Deluxe, but I didn't know if it would make sense to mention Earwig Deluxe. We toured and we found this guy who's like a performance artist guy, and we love him. We want to do something. We want him to be our best friend, um, and or at least do music with us. But Earwig Deluxe, Earwig we met, Deluxe, we met Earwig Deluxe in We we played with that guy. He outweirded us. <laughs> And, yeah. and and ever since we've been thinking about him a lot. And anywhere we go, we attract uh, very strange folks. But yeah, I'm trying to think of who else like bigger folks. I mean, just I don't know. We got a lot of folks we played with over the years. I mean, Flummox has existed for for a minute. Yeah, it, it, there's a list somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah.
how did uh, the band get involved with Neil's records? With Neil Juice? Um, well, we had done an album called Intellectual Hooliganism, and it was very, like, like it was just, like, on a local record label. Like, it was just very independent. Not that, like, Needle Juice is pretty independent, independent, but not as small as this other label was. And, like, this is all anyway, and, like, you know, and, like, Somebody gave our CD to uh, Jace McLean, who who works for Needle Juice, and uh, he loved it, and was like, "I'm gonna sign y'all and put y'all on a, and put this on vinyl." And so, like less than a year after we had put it out, we basically re-released it with Needle Juice on vinyl, and then from there on, we've just done all of our stuff through them. Um, they're a pretty good home for us, um, just because they they tend to appeal more to outsider uh music and, and things of that sort and uh like it was funny because like we were we went and did another interview recently uh at their office mm-hmm. and uh of course they have like a lot of their stock there and it turns out yeah. that we are kept in the weird section of the hell room <laughs> the hell room the hell room awesome like, that's where we that's where we belong yeah. are you both final collectors yeah, oh, I am. I'm not so much. It's, I definitely am. It's expensive. Uh, I'm in collecting vinyl since I was a teenager. I probably have. It's a modest collection, but I probably have around 400 records, give or take, maybe five. Um, I've been collecting like for a very long time. I'm not as hardcore as some people. I like to basically like. Very rarely will I go out of my way unless it's like a new release of something. I won't go out of my way to like purchase it online or something but if i'm like out in the wild and i find something that's like that's what i love if it's a like if i'm finding an album that you'll either already love or have never heard before just right. out in the wild it's just kind of how i've always done it and it's just special that way and so i've got all my records i gotta tell you being a child of the uh, 70s and early 80s i think back on a lot of the vinyl that we wound up you know just selling off because moving into cds and cassettes and i wish i still had most of it yeah y'all y- y'all fucked up there <laughs> yeah i really <laughs> uh, yeah it's high you know like i i got into it right before the vinyl boom too so like i remember you know used media place you know store somewhere and i bought original copies of like dark side of the moon uh black sabbath sabotage and ozzy's diary of a madman all for like five bucks a piece and they were like pristine condition and then and then maybe like two or three years later was when like vinyl became big again and that now they probably charge like 40 bucks for those same records (laughs) yeah it's it's absolutely insane and new vinyl is just insane as well it is including ours which i just ordered on uh, friday Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, getting back to the LGBTQ questions, um, do you have any advice for anybody who's listening who is experiencing body dysmorphia? That's um, hmm. That's a good. That's a good one, and also like a, a hard one. Yeah. Um, I would say like, uh, go to therapy, for sure. Uh, if you can afford it, um, I would definitely talk to uh, basically those you trust about 
any personal matters of that regard about it. Uh, and I would, I would just certainly seek out the information uh, to potentially like see what kind of um, like what exactly you might be dealing with, whether it's just dysmorphia or dysphoria or you know what what other variants there might be. Um, God, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, everyone's very personal in how they are going to handle that aspect of their life, whether or not they're going through it or not. Um, so, yeah, it's very much, I mean, if therapeutic resources are available to you or, or something that you can do, um, it's definitely something that, you know, you need to sort out for sure. Mm -hmm. Just something, um, educate yourself if you can. And um, you're not the only one. Yeah, that's the important thing yeah. to realize is like, you know, people, plenty of folks are asking themselves these questions. And, um, and you're definitely not alone in that. But yeah, um, like like I said, just um, do what you can to learn because learning is the best thing you can do instead of just, you know, trying to get too stuck in your own head. You'll always be accepted somewhere. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you online? Um, most places. Uh, a lot of our stuff is uh, pretty much on any of the streaming sites, uh, Spotify, app, you know, Apple, uh, Google Play, that's uh, YouTube, of course. You look at Flummox Band. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, like we're we're pretty much everywhere. Um, besides, uh, we haven't figured out TikTok yet. We're we're millennial trash. <sighs> it's hard. It's confusing and annoying. All right. Well, um, I think we're gonna wrap that up there. So thank you very much, uh, Allison and Max. It's really great talking to you. Thank you so and much for having us. If you're enjoying the podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash meet he geeks. That's right. We messed up on the domain. So that's patreon.com forward slash M-E-E-T-H-E-G-E-E-K-S. And help us keep bringing great content and great interviews with the artists you want to know about.